We are so excited that you are here to listen to the Script Tape Podcast. Go ahead. Make my day. We want to help you develop your idea into a great screenplay. Who knows? Maybe you'll write the next big blockbuster. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! Well, there's always a chance, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Are you ready to learn about screenwriting? All right, then. Let's get started. Enjoy. Welcome to the Script Cake Podcast. This week, we have a special treat for you. Highly accomplished screenwriter, comedian, multi-instrumentalist, speaker, and Air Force brat, Adeep Desai. Adeep has... Hello. Hey, thank you for being here, Adeep. Thank you. Adeep has a, uh, a lot of credits, so I'm going to spend a little time going through more so than, than, than I have been in the past here. Uh, Adeep was uh, honored as the 2020 BAFTA Breakthrough Artist last year. We're definitely going to ask him about that. He also mm-hmm. wrote an episode of Mira, Royal Detective for Disney Junior, and was a staff writer on season seven of the Goldbergs. Uh, in addition to that, Adeep runs the 16,000-member LATV Writers Facebook group. He's also been an advisor and an instructor at the Sundance Institute. And um, was selected for the Walt Disney TV Writing Program. Adeep's got a big background as a comedian. We're not going to get into that too much today. He was also the president of the Northwest Screenwriters Guild in Seattle, which I want to hear about. Mm -hmm. And some of you may have seen him as the lone vegetarian cast member on season four of the Food Network's Worst Cooks in America. First, I remember he disappeared from... Facebook and everything for like months. And then he- <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he came back all of a sudden and he was everywhere. So we and were- I couldn't tell anybody anything. <laughs> These NDAs are like, you know. So yeah, we will chat about that as well. So yeah. again, yeah. Thank you for being here, Adeep. Just rolled over from my couch. And so I like that commute. <laughs> the COVID commute is what it's known as, right? COVID commute, yeah. I, it's also screenwriter commute if you're not on a show. So um, I think it's Zoom. I, I mean, it's going to be Zoom rooms for a while. Still, yeah. So that's where we are. So, yeah, that's where we one are. Of I always love to talk about is what made you decide to pursue a career in screenwriting? Where did that passion come from? And, and, and how'd you get from where you were? to where you are yeah mine's um i think it's pretty atypical uh i was in the music business and so i was like a touring musician and i would do like little sessions you know in seattle or wherever and um so you know i would i would leave periodically and um i would write letters home to you know whatever girlfriend I had, but in this case, it was one specific girlfriend that I had when I went on this, these couple tours. And I guess these letters, these like handwritten letters that I sent were good or something. So she was like showing friends and shit, which is strange. (laughs) And uh, it's like, those are for you. Uh, This is not performative. And, and she and like, I feel like we're like, these are good. Like maybe you should consider being a writer. Like, because we know that you love TV and movies, like, because I I had seen everything, like, I was that kid. Right. Until children, I had seen everything. And so I was like, oh, okay, they're like, you know, you should look at maybe writing for TV. And I was like, I never even thought to do that. Hmm. Um, So then I just started, I was, I started with, like, I wrote a horrible screenplay and my, um, my computer, like, totally crashed and aborted it, like, for real. (laughs) <laughs> you, there's no trace of this screenplay anywhere. Um, like we can't even do a cute like reading of it because it's gone forever. If that's at all, ones and zeros. That's at all like my first screenplay. It's for the better. Oh yes, I'm so glad I cannot ever go back to it. It's awful. Um, but you know what? It's funny. Uh, that idea, like I do want to write as a TV show now, but I didn't have nowhere near the skills then to like pull it off and now like i can do it um yeah mine my first screenplay is one of my favorite ideas that i love the most but yeah that's something i even now i don't think i'm ready to write it and i've you know I've only, uh, yeah 
30 or 40 features, but I'm still not quite. Yeah. There. Yeah. Only seven or eight features at this point, or maybe nine. I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, between you and me, we've written a ton of stuff. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of scary. Um, yeah. So I, I, I was, I started doing that and I took one class uh, at like UW in Seattle. It was like the extension program. And it was, such a miserable parking situation and it would always be raining and I could never find a spot, but my teacher was awesome. And I was the only person I brought a TV spec in that I wanted to write in a film writing class. And people were like, what is this? No one was writing for TV then either. No one wanted to. And I, that's all I wanted to do. And uh, I became friends with my teacher and then we wrote, we wrote like one feature and we started a second one. Um, and so like we became, you know, we're still friends uh, to this day. So I, I kind of like, I like befriending. I end up befriending a lot of teachers that I meet. It's kind of funny. And now that I'm a teacher, it's sort of happening on the other side. So it's kind of fun. Uh, and then the real, the real push, like I wrote a script, I wrote a spec of Law and Order and it was actually, a funny, it was more of a dramedy uh, than a straight procedural. And it it was pretty good. And I it got to Dick Wolf and they were considering buying it as a freelance. And it was, but it was all about Jerry Orbach's backstory. And then Jerry Orbach dies oh. and my script dies. <laughs> and I was too green to, to think um, I should just, I should just re rewrite it, re-break it and and pull him out of it, replace him with the other cop. And but I had all this backstory shit with him. That's what made it special. Um so that was a bummer. And then well, I was like, I'll keep writing. Uh it was really just a hobby at at this time. because uh, I was playing music all the time. I was in the music business as a music supervisor or like a, I used to manage all the music for Starbucks globally. So I had like real music jobs mm -hmm. and um so i was music surprising a feature we had some kick-ass bands in it uh and the director asked me to come in and do like a, the punch-up room and i was like what's that I didn't, I didn't know like why you know are we we're just we're gonna i because i thought the script was like done done and they were gonna do like another that's when i learned the script is never done um Right, it just can live on forever and ever. When do you stop? Who knows? Um, so then I got a couple, you know, I got like a visual gag in there, maybe a couple little jokes in there, and I was like, oh, that's I got like addicted to that feeling. It's that feeling when you're at a party and you're telling a story and you're getting the entire party to laugh, it's that feeling, but it's weaponized and has like money attached to it. So, but I liked it and I did not like being music supervisor. It was fun picking music and, and talking to musicians, but it was never fun chasing contracts. That was the pits. So I was like, that's better. So I was like, I'm going to pivot. It's going to take a while. Um, and then soon after that, I started running. I was, the, uh, I somehow got nominated vice president of the Northwest Screenwriters Guild, which is not a guild in the writer's guild sense or SAG. It was just, they used that term because that was the, the nonprofit status that they got. So they could they could lobby or something. I don't know how any of that worked. So I was vice president. I was like, okay, I don't, I don't know how to run a nonprofit. I'd never done that. So I'm like, but I'm vice president. I don't have to do anything. I just have to go to the meetings and probably bring water and like unlock the door. And then the the president quits like right away. So I'm the president of this thing. And everyone's like, this little young brown guy is gonna run this thing. And so I had to like really step up and I did actually. And I grew it like to 100, we had like 140 members. We I think when I joined, we maybe had 30 active, 40 active. And I raised I raised the membership fees too because I wanted to bring a higher caliber, you know, of guests from LA and you, you have to put them up in nicer places. But I, I got us a deal with like hotels and I got us a deal. I, I was like a real hustler and I got all these things thrown in for free. 
so we were able to keep a lot of money and then we got a, a grant from the academy stuff like that um which was good experience that came in handy later on um when we talk about baptist stuff but uh yeah so anyway like i was doing the that thing and i was writing and doing all that writing shit and then um we were like we're sick of these winters like these seattle the seattle gray like 90 days where you don't see the sunshine like i i couldn't do another day and i turned to my wife i was like do i just get out of here like go to la so i can like take this thing seriously and get some sunshine and she's like yeah so we packed all the stuff up we sold a bunch of crap we moved um I had some contacts, you know, through Northwest Parents Guild, but that it's interesting, like contacts sometimes can be so out of your league that you can't use them. Like they're so high up, they get so high up and you're still like unknown screenwriter and they can't really be seen, you know, this is nothing against them. It's just like, there's a hierarchy and the, there are circles that you're in or not in, right? I have friends um, who Academy Award winners. And right. have conversations and we can talk to each other and give thoughts and notes, but we're not in the same circles. No. And and sort of everybody knows it. I I hate that stuff and I don't I don't like treating people that way. So I when I teach, I go, we're all even. Oh, that's nice. I am no better than you. I, I'm learning from you. The mistakes that I'm gonna yell at you about are mistakes I'm currently making. As soon as we're off the Zoom, I will make all the same mistakes, like for real. And it's just really easy to give out, you know, information on someone else's stuff, but on your own shit, you got, you know, got the weird blinders and um, anyway, so that's not here, neither here nor there. So we moved to LA and I was happy about it because I wanted to get back to LA for a while. And um, cause I liked, I liked the energy of it, like the, the hustling energy now I'm exhausted by it. But at the time, like Seattle didn't have that vibe. So I was like a real huckster. And uh, I think I was very irritating to people because I, I just wouldn't take no or like I would call, I would pick a phone call anybody mm -hmm. back then. LA has taken that out of me. But um, so yeah, we moved. And then I got my first job uh, in LA off LinkedIn of all things. Like I had contacts, but they weren't hiring. And then, you know, and you, it just takes a long time in LA. So I was like, fuck it, I need money. So I, I get on LinkedIn and there's like the lady who wrote the comedy Bible, which is a great book. And uh, she was like hiring a second assistant. I was like, okay. And I applied. And then this very nice guy like interviewed me and I was like, oh my God, I love this guy. We were super tight from the beginning. And like, he went on to be the booker at the Hollywood, Imp I mean, at the improv, right? Wow. And then now he he runs like this theater that he had he had eyes on for like years. It's just so fun to see his truth. And he and he had a comedy music act, and I played drums in that for years. You know, and and um, so you just it's so funny. Like you run into these people in the most random ways, and they stay in your life in like a very random way. And that's like kind of how the business is. Um, I got fired for being a bad assistant, which I am, but I got fired for a mistake. I, I will take this to the to to my crematorium. I got fired for a mistake that I didn't make. It was the other person's assistant who fucked up. And but like you can't un, you can't convince someone to not fire you. And the funniest thing about it, I was glad to leave. It was horrible. But um she said, you know, you're not a good assistant, but you could be a really good stand-up. Because she taught stand-up classes, you know, and I took one. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, this is the weirdest way to get fired. And uh, so, you know, I was doing stand-up at the time. And I kept doing stand-up for a while. And, you know, then I got more assistant, a couple more assistant jobs. One of which was like I was assisting an actor who was on a show, a Greg Berlanti show that didn't end up going. Um, and I, but I got to hang out with Michael Chiklis and... You know, all these people and I got to see how you make a ginormous TV show that has like three TV shows, you know, jammed into one. It was no or called No Ordinary Family. 
Um, it was it was yeah. like kind of Incredibles, Fantastic Four kind of thing. Like a car accident or something at the beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that didn't work out, but I got to see how they made TV. And I think that's when I kind of realized that I also wanted to produce because I like being on set. Um, and I like kind of the nuts and bolts of that, not just the writing, um, which makes me strange amongst writers. Um, so, yeah, from there, like, you know, it's just... You, I was head writer on a video game that didn't go like, there's just tons of crap, you know, in between I written shorts and music videos and all these things. And you just sort of just grind it out forever and ever and ever. And, um, the real shift happened. I was working at reading rainbow for several years and I'd come in as an animator and I had like every job when I left as the manager of education for reading rainbow and um and i the one day i didn't think i was gonna get laid off was the day i got laid off which is so weird every day i was like this is the day and the one day i was like hammer and i was like okay all right and i needed it because i had been taking these survival jobs you know i had been trying to you know i had a young child at that point and you get serious right It, it just changes the game um but i would have no career without my kids because all my stuff is about being a dad like that's the stuff that broke me in and i'd been writing parenting articles for like magazines and stuff as if i knew anything it was really mostly making fun of uh my younger self for being an idiot and and now being a parent um so yeah i was i was everything real like got left and i like came home and it was it was uh we went to a party and i got pretty blasted and on the way home you know, I turned to my wife who was driving and I said, well, at least you're not pregnant or anything. And she's like, well, I was like, baby number two. Oh, no. And we just bought a dishwasher and I don't like spending money. And we got this dishwasher and I was like, I, oh, no, we have the dishwasher, this baby. What am I going to do? And of course, the logical thing to do is go, you know what? I'm going to go to film school. And so that's basically she said, I'm tired of seeing you taking these survival jobs and just like dying this slow creative death, like just focus on the writing. So I focused on the writing and I shit you not. It's like, you just, it's one step in front of the other. It was like, okay, I'm going to write this thing. If it sucks, I'm quitting. It didn't suck. All right. I'll do it again. If the next one is good, I, I raised the bar for myself. It went from not sucking to good which good is like what c plus and that was actually good and i was like hmm. i was like well okay i'll apply to the neighborhood school which is afi i was talking to a friend of mine who uh derek he and he runs the LATV writers group with me he does like a lot of the heavy lifting um and uh i was talking to him and he went to afi and he's like well you you know you should apply I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, I think you could get in. And I was like, okay, well, next year, because this was like late October or something, and the thing was due in a week or two, like two weeks or something. And it's an involved application, as you might imagine. And he's like, no, 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 do it for this year. And I was like, you're crazy. Like, I got a baby on the way. And I'm like, how am I going to do? He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. I was was doing some freelance, like, ghostwriting and stuff like that. But it wasn't hard. It was like, it was actually fun. He's like, try to hit the deadline. And so I was like, okay. So I like scrounged some recommendations together. I got it in like five seconds. I was rewriting my short film five minutes before it was due. Like that's how, because I scrapped four short films. You have to write a short film based on a prompt. That's part of the application with, with essays and recommendations. And, uh, it just, I, I showed it to my writing group and Derek. They're like, this is not going to get you in the AFI. I was like, God damn. So I just told a very personal story that only I could tell in only the way that I would tell it. Mm-hmm. And that script has like, it's a short. That script, unchanged, has opened doors. I bet. That, yeah, it sounds like it's the exact thing you're supposed to write. That That's works. what you're supposed to write. Right. And people like you, people like me, we tell our students that all the time. But 
once you start doing it and everything I'd written in the new stage was, was personal, highly personal. Nice. Um, and I'll only do that now. Like I'll only work on personal things unless it's like IP, you know, but I try to personalize IP even so I can have like a emotional connection to I, the character and the drive, you know, hundred percent. I got hired to write a kid's horse movie a few years back. Oh yeah. Mm hmm. The one that with Mickey, they're not making it with Mickey Rooney. And, um, yeah, yeah, you know, the first time I've been to a horse ranch was to visit the set. <laughs> like, I didn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, right. You're the connection to it. And I'm yeah. like, but here's what the prompts they gave me. And, uh, uh, three kids on a ranch, a horse runs away, they go get the horse. It'd be nice if there was a dog. Like, <laughs> Uh, that was my cue. That was my prompt or whatever. You know what I'm like? I mean, shows have been sold off less. Well, they know that yeah. horse yeah. on a DVD. Back, this is back when, you know, Walmart had oh. a $5 DVD. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And her, horse stuff just has its own audience. Some subgenre. So people, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm like, well, what am I going to write about? And yeah. Like a year or two before, I had lost my mother. Yeah. And so I wrote a story about losing my mother and mm -hmm. an emotional story for a kid who loses his dad and he goes mm -hmm. to ranch and it's a ranch for uh you know um kids that have emotional issues but they don't know yep. that, mm -hmm. that and when right a horse loses its mom and he and his horse just mm -hmm. kind of and so it was cathartic you know it was really yeah it was something personal and a kid's yeah. horse, and, uh, yeah. i don't think people realize it you don't have to write something personal about you and your situation. You can put it. Right. It doesn't have to be verbatim what you experience. Right. So, yeah. 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 Well, and that's a, that's an interesting lesson because I think, you know, everybody, like people say, right. What, you know, and they don't mean, you know, slavishly, you know, pay, like just paint by numbers, what happened, because that's not a story. It can be interesting, but it's not a story. And it's, you have to sort of get, one or two degrees away from it just really i think start digging into the character and story as once it's not you because like i wrote two highly autobiographical things like after my dad passed i wrote one thing um about that experience and i wrote you know another like a silly thing um and the short that helped me get in the, the script that helped me get into afi was the one about my dad mm. and the short film that I wrote for AFI, like that was about me being like a little kid playing French horn and being the only French horn player, you know, in, in concert band, like every year and having a solo at a, you know, at a competition and I had flubbed it every single time in band practice. And the kids were like, you better not, you better not screw this up for us. And I was like, okay, you know, and like the, all that shit's real. I mean, I made, I made some dramatic choices and I added magic realism to it and just made it like very relatable for anybody who's, who's like trying to do something that they're struggling with and they have a lot of pressure, you know, and like, can they pull it out? And if you do it for yourself, you can, right. It's, it's, it's actually not about doing it for other people. If you do it for yourself, like all this crap that we do, then that's when the stuff starts to happen. So like these little, you learn these little lessons and these little things that seem like exercises, but they're like light, you know, you learn about life. Um, I agree with so you. anyway, long, you know, and long story short, like I get into AFI and they even called me early and they're like, hey, we just want to let you know, like you don't have to worry, like you're in. I'm like, but you guys aren't mailing letters for like two months. Like, yeah, but we just wanted you to, no, and I was I was giving my daughter a bath like with the phone up against my ear while I'm doing it, and, uh, and that was like so like of course that's how that's gonna happen, yeah. and um, so I I decide I'm gonna go to AFI, um, and over the summer you do like right now like the the fellowship season stuff right so you like March April May everyone loses their minds trying to get into these fellowship programs. Um, and I had applied for the Disney program. I didn't remember applying, kind of like what we were talking about earlier about the stove thing. But um, 
I had applied. And I said, I, I, I remembered now what I was doing. I was like, this is the last fellowship I ever applied for. I'm never, I'm never going to apply for another fellowship. I'm over it. Like I was done. And I took that kind of like energy into my application. And the two, two samples about, you know, about being a dad that I was telling you about those were what got me into the Disney program. So like, you just don't know where this stuff is going to take you. I mean, that got me that open AFI and now the Disney program, which is like one of the hardest to get into 2000 people apply. They took eight my year. Um, That was the fifth time I applied. And uh, I to it a few times in the past myself. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you lose count. Uh, I was like, it's either three or five, but I think it's five. And um, it feels like five if it's not. Uh, but I was like, like, you know, I'll write this crazy essay. Oh, the essay that I used was the essay, essentially the essay I wrote for AFI as well. I'm just reusing this stuff. <laughs> People are going to be so mad when they hear this because I haven't said it. But it, I mean, it was obviously like tailored for each program. And the AFI one is much longer because um, you really don't have like 500 words to do it. And um, but it was it was and that was about my dad who passed away. Like, you know, you start to see these these trends like I'm a dad who writes about my dad and that's my thing. Like I write about dad stuff. I'm like dad core and um and that's fine like i think it's absolutely fine to take something that pedestrian and have your spin on it you know because the way that i look at parenting is completely different yeah just own it um you own it yeah like it, instead of because you can sort of be embarrassed by certain things that you're good at or you're, you're like oh yeah i'm good at that or uh, but i'd rather be working on this kind of stuff like the sexy stuff you know like handmade stuff you know that kind of the prestige, the the prestige stuff. It's like, dude, you're not in that game yet. You know, like they don't know who the f you are. You have to, you know, you have to get them to know you. But uh, I, I lean into it. So even my genre stuff is about families, usually from the dad's perspective. Like that's what I do. Like a lot of what I write is like wrestling with the idea of this is gonna be. This is how you do X Y Z. This is like. This is how you level up, you know, because I never felt like I had leveled up and I wanted my kids to. And, you know, like your kids are, they're their own people and they have stuff they're great at, stuff they're not great at. And that may not be the stuff that's important to you. And so you got to like accept that, accept them for who they are. And because I don't want to, I don't want my kids to be unhappy because I was like, oh no, I'm going to clip your wings when you're five and you're never going to be able to pursue your dream. Cause like I had, I had to, you know, I had to work really hard to like burst through. I was like the first kid who was a freaking doctor, lawyer, accountant, computer programmer in the like Indian community. So I'm the black the big black family for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Oh yeah. We all are every, every creative person who's Indian, South Asian, Asian, like, you're the black sheep like to everybody else you are highly accomplished and to your family you are less than the dude you know who drove them to the airport you know sort of I remember at least he has a job that's good you know at least he's doing something so my sister and you're like in film school was like when are you gonna stop fooling around and get a real job when are you gonna right exactly you know and i understand well that She's saying that now that I'm a parent and I have expectations for my kids. Right, right. But at the same time, yeah, I have a, I have a sign in my man cave that says, uh, you have to grow old. You don't have to grow up. And I, oh, live, I love that. Live by that mantra. I don't have to grow up because of, you know, the choices that I make. And I get to, you know, I do have to make adult decisions from time to time. But most of the time, yeah, I get to play. And, you know, yeah, that's not bad. That's. That's a really important thing, actually, for anyone listening. It's like play. Play is what we do. We don't, we're not doing business. Like we're, we're actually supposed to make art and we're supposed to have fun and we're supposed to play. And if you lose sight of that, you can really get caught up, especially in LA, 
you can really get caught up in the, you know, comparison game and the who's where. And, um, and it's like, I, you know, the sooner you like, the less you care about that, the better, the more you care about your craft and making real relationships, that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, being like a ladder climbing a-hole is like, yeah, I mean, you might be successful quote, but no one's coming to your funeral. You know, no one's going to tell fun stories about you. <laughs> That's how I look at it. It's like, what are people going to say after you're gone? What's your legacy? Right. No, in those small ways, you know. Talking about um, the side of things that you just mentioned. Yeah. You know, for those of us, like I live in, you know, Pennsylvania, so I'm not anywhere in LA. And you always feel yeah. so far away from the business side. And you're still trying to figure out how to get in and this, that, and the other. Right, right. Networking, you don't have the same networking opportunities that someone like you had before COVID hit, of course. But right, COVID kind of changed everything. Right, but I was submitting uh, some scripts and some pitches to a bunch of different production companies over the last couple of months, mm-hmm. and I had a bunch of them just come back rapid fire over the course of like a week, just responses. Oh, and really? And some of them were just conversations with people and some of them were uh-huh. typed up responses. And it was mm. love, 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 like, love, love, like, love, 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 like. And mm. you know, the final thing is, do you want to read the script? No, thanks. <laughs> no, no, no. Because no. people don't want to read. Right. And it was just this consistent. They love everything that I'm doing, but they don't want to read it. Like, so is that I don't... bad or does that, you know, I'm just trying to decipher it. Because I think a lot. Well, yeah, you you try to make meaning of these things. Yeah, I think a lot of writers that are young and people that want to break into the business, you know, are going to have to deal with these exact same experiences. And it just oh, yeah, on me, you got to find like a love connection. You do, yeah. You have to find that person who is all about you, You're, who sees yeah. the same thing you see, and yeah. wants the same thing you want. And it's not that your writing isn't good enough. It's not that your concept isn't high enough. It's not that, uh, yeah. you know, you had a typo on page four. It's none of those. Yeah. Things. Yeah. I haven't quite found the right match. And uh, um, that's my thought process and I'm sticking to yeah. it. No, I think you're, no, that's right. Because you can, you can meet with somebody. Let's say, let's talk about managers for a minute. Like you can meet with somebody and they're awesome, like you get along with them. But if they don't see what you're trying to do and everything you, th- I'm not speaking of a personal experience, more like just, we all know people, like so many writers have fired so many managers. Uh, it's just a thing. Just be ready to fire your first couple of managers <laughs> if you're, when you're breaking in. Because um, there's no, there's no like legal anything around managers. Like I could, I could be a manager tomorrow and I could rep you and, you know, there are no rules. So, Would you? Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, I got I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. Um, yeah. Where was I? So yes, managers. So like you want that, like you said, love connection. You want someone to be like, I love this thing. I love the other thing you sent me. I love this other thing you sent me. And that all comes down to like voice and execution. And honestly, like I think premise is really important right now. Everyone's talking about, you're going to hear these, these buzzwords, right? You're going to hear elevated and undeniable and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Those are the words you're using now, but all they want to do is like be blown away. They want like buzzy, loud, noisy, like you hear all this. And it's like, some scripts are not loud. A lot of scripts are not loud. But we don't make those movies anymore. We only make loud movies. We make loud TV shows. I mean, how many quiet shows are there that aren't based on IP? You know, like, try to find one. And uh, so you're going to talk to people, and and everyone's going to BS, you know? Everyone's going to be nice. But it's phony until you hear that person is like, you know what I could see you doing? And they they tell you something that you would, they think that you should write and you've already written that. And you're like, I already have that. Then you're like, like my agent is like that. He, he definitely, 
likes my stuff and he'll make me he'll put me up for stuff that I think I'll hate and I'll be like I don't want to do that and he's like just watch the show and I'll watch the show three minutes in and I'm like you're right you know I'll text him <laughs> so it's sometimes other people see something you don't I think that happens a lot that objectivity we lose it so anyway um yeah so so back to I guess AFI I'm sitting in a classroom on music in film and I'm like, I could teach this class, right? I could be on the panel. I was, I was like, what am I doing here? I was like, I mean, literally just that class, the rest of it. I loved. Uh, I was like, I should have just, I should just bail on this now. And then I get an email that does not look proper. And it looks like, like a phishing thing. And it's from the Disney firm saying you're a semi-finalist. And so I go into like basically like the last part of the first semester of grad school doing the Disney semifinals and finals process, which is really hard. They call it the Hunger Games. They also call it the Gauntlet. Um, but I think Hunger Games has been the prevailing name lately. And uh, it's incredibly rigorous. That's um, almost its own podcast. But um, so I had so so then I got in. So I had to drop out of AFI, wow. but I, I stayed an extra two months into the next semester because I wanted to, I wanted to study with um, a couple of professors still, and I wanted to take the drama spec writing class, just get my feet wet, just for fun, because I like it. I like writing and I like TV. And my professor, again, like it's full circle, he had done the Disney program. Wow. He had done the program that I was like, see it. So like before I even started with him, I was like, I'm going to end up leaving like a couple months in. He's like, oh, sweet. Um, and in that class, I wrote a full outline for a spec of Doctor Who, which we'll come back to later. Um, so I leave and I stayed to shoot um, my short film that nobody wanted to make. This is another thing. Nobody at school really wanted to make it. Only like maybe six or seven people. And you pitch out, you pitch out your stories to everybody. And you know, I, I pitched like South Asian suicide bipolar thing. And at AFI, they just eat that up. I was like, I don't want to make that. And my friend goes, What do you want to make? I'm like, I want to make this Christmas stoner movie. And she's like, make that. And I was like, okay. So I did that. But it it like significantly reduced the number of people who would work on it. Um, and then when people are like, you're crazy for doing this. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do it. And also I'm going to be leaving, but I'm going to stay to commit to this because it was my idea, right? Yeah. Um, what made you so con convinced that that was the right move? Well, my friend said like, like the you can always shoot this this other thing but that's not what you do like what you do is this other thing and i was like yeah that's really more what i do i i wanted to do i wanted to do a movie that was basically sideways in t like tone of sideways but a stoner christmas movie about two people and it started out they were roommates and then they became half siblings and um i still I still love it. I still, I mean, you know, you, it's film school and you do your best, you know, but I learned a lot about, you know, being on set. And that again, comes in later when you're covering your own episode as a TV writer. So I, I was like, people try to convince you to not go to film school. They convince you of all, they tell you all these things. And I say, don't listen to anybody. Like if you really feel like in your heart, you have to do something, do it. And I like everyone, nobody says like, I told you so. I can tell everybody else, I told you so. Cause that got you like, that gave me the confidence to go out, you know, in the, the real world. And um, anyway, so that's, that's a, just a weird story only because like people are going to tell you a lot of things like, oh, why would you pay extra to stay for a partial semester just to shoot this dumb short film? And it's like, no, that's that, this is why I'm here why would I bail now, you know? And, uh, and I'm glad that I did that. I have zero regrets. Um, 
And then from there, I, I went on to start in the Disney program, which is intense. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit more, just a hint more about the gauntlet or the Hunger Games of getting in. Oh, yeah. Then also tell us about, you know, what helped you during the program. Yeah, the so the Disney program is notoriously difficult. I think it's the hardest process of all the, it's definitely the hardest um, in terms of what they put you through to get into the program. Um, obviously it's incredibly prestigious and, you know, everybody knows about it. And, um, uh, so, but I, I like when I applied, I didn't, I didn't give a shit. That was, that was everything. Like as soon as you take the desperation out of this stuff, mm-hmm. I swear to God, the doors just like fly open. Wow. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know. Have you experienced the, I mean, you're not like that kind of, you're not like a guy who's like desperate. You're like confident and you like know what you're doing, but. Many like, arrogant, but that's fine. <laughs> I mean, but, but that's only because you're a Brown man. Maybe, maybe, but um, you know? no, I mean, I think that to some extent we all have a sense of desperation when it comes to, you know, this thing is la la land, if you will, what's out there yeah. uh, because, you know, how do you break in? And, you know, I've carved yeah. a career for myself in the indie world. and Yeah, which is cool. I've made some things and I've done some stuff. And, you know, I had stuff, you know, early on. I had screenplays that, you know, agents at CAA were reviewing and things like that. Yeah. That yeah. Kind of fully came through. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm confident in what I'm doing. But, yeah. you know, I'm not doing Disney and and, and and paramount and and universal i'm doing something else so i think that it's on my uh to-do list to have some of the mm. that you've had kind of, kind of like a bucket the bucket list of like, yeah i want to career bucket list i want to go you know work a show for a season i want to experience that i want to learn yeah to yeah yeah but do i want to work on someone else's show for five years no no you know, I want to work on my show for five years, and that's the yeah. Well, and that's the that's that's something we can also talk about because that's a whole that's a whole thing, you know. Um, but with the with the Disney program, like I'll just briefly talk about. Like I've talked about it on other podcasts where I went into detail where the whole podcast is about right. fellowship stuff. But the the first part, the most important part, is the semifinalist phone call. Hmm. And they, they don't schedule those. They tell you to be by your phone for either a week to two weeks between the hours of like nine and six. And just, it's like, it's like getting, you know, it's like Jason Bourne getting his, you know, his instructions. It's, that's what it feels like. And so you're, you're like, how is this a process to do anything? It's on purpose. It's to throw you off your game. So when they call you, you're not going to be prepared. Hmm. And, uh, and I know why they do that. That's sort of the culture of the program. And, uh, and so I was in class at AFI getting notes on my feature and this phone pops up and it says like blocked number. It doesn't even say Disney. All right. So you don't, you're picking up every single, ask any Disney fellow, you pick up every single call, every spam call, every like car warranty thing, those calls, like everything is like, ah! and so I get the call and I was like, you know what? I don't give a shit. And so I was like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting notes on my feature right now at the American Film Institute. And uh, can I, can we, I talk to you guys later? And they're like, yeah, we'll call you back later. Hmm. Cause I was not ready hmm. to have that conversation right then. It would have been me in the hallway at AFI right. trying to find a quiet place to have this conversation. At least you weren't bathing your child at the time. Of the call. <laughs> I, you know what, that would have helped. That would have probably been something they liked, you know, especially cause and we'll talk about like, you know, when you apply to these programs, the whole packet, everything in your packet 
has to be under like a unified theme. Hmm. And the voice has to carry through all the things. So even your bio or your essay or um, your uh, your samples and your, you know, all those things, they need to all feel like they came from this singular voice. That's the trick with those. Okay. And, um, and use every opportunity to tell a story. Like, don't just look at it like this is a boilerplate essay thing, like tell a story. And, um, so in the phone call, so I like, I set myself up somewhere at like a picnic table at school and I had all my note cards, you know, with like potential questions and I sat there and they called and I think it was like seven minutes between seven and 15 minutes. And, um, again, no desperation. So I was just like, yeah, da, 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 da. and I was only thrown a couple times. I was like, dang it. I got thrown. But I had all the other questions like figured out. And it's all the things you could think of. It's like, how do you develop your craft? Like, what's your process for breaking a story? Um, if you could work on any show on our network or not on our network, what show would you work on and why? What character that uh, do you identify with most and why that's on our network? Um, you, they, the, they start the conversation with, tell us about yourself. So I don't know, like most of the people listening, what would you do if someone just said, tell us about yourself? Would you know what to do? I think I would start off talking about my family and that would probably go into a story of some kind. Mm -hmm. Telling about myself and then, you know, talk about my craft as well. And probably what brought me into this world and what I love so much about writing and telling stories. Um, Somewhere that's vain. I'm not sure. I'd have to. Yeah, you you'd be pretty close. And it. that that's the funny thing. Like that weeds like so many people out. That question is like the big weed whacker. It's like you know, that's part of the Hunger Games of it. Um, Why is that a weed whacker? How, how do you mean? They, they want you to tell them um, a story that encapsulates your your uh, life experience, your point of view, your voice in like five minutes or less. Mm. They prefer two, two and a half. Okay. That's hard to do. So what you have to do is find this theme to wrap it all in. And so I came at it as like, I'm always a new kid because I was a military brat mm. and there aren't a lot of Indian military brats. So that's weird. And so I would talk about, you know, I, I would be funny, but I would also be dramatic because I wrote drama, I write dramedies. Those are my favorite. So I wanted them to get a sense of like the the range of my tone, because I didn't want them to just see me as like a sitcom guy. Right. Um, so I I did that. Um, you know the the questions you know are pretty standard. Uh, like like I said, um, they will try to throw you off. They they're going to try. They need to somehow weed out like all these people i think 50 it's like 50 or 100 people i think make the semifinals. i can't remember now um it's not a lot and then that gets down to 30 ish so that's the finalists are like 30 and you're split into one hour and half hour hmm. um and th they're very different kind of uh vibes in each room uh and you know so part of that is they make like when you get in the finals they make you like pitch your they do the tell us about yourself thing but you're doing it in front of all the people you're competing against and the people who run the program and what they don't tell you is they're timing you and they're like kind of grading you and you think this is just a meet and greet you just think that you're just there to meet the other people and no, they're like, everything is on, is graded. So and then at, always on. You're, always, you're always on, you're always on, but don't be too on is the thing. But some people are too on and it's like kind of, again, it's the desperation thing. They'll push it too far. Um, and then, then you have this mixer that they've done the last two years over Zoom, which must be horrible. My my year is like I think the last year maybe we did yeah mine was the last year we did it. Um, they throw you into this 
conference room at uh, Disney and you're with all the other people. They put all the, they have all these execs and like showrunners and, you know, that those kind of people on one side of the room and then all of us are on the other side of the room and you have to, every single person has to go around and talk about themselves for like 15 seconds, 30 seconds, like your name, what you write uh, and where you're from basically. And, um, and then they go, you know, it's like, uh, I call it the Braveheart scene. It's like all the, these forces come together in the middle. And that, and it's like you're schmoozing and they're grading you on your schmoozing. Wow. It's funny. And you know it. Because you spend all this time just trying to be a good writer. And now they require all these other skills from you that you may not have. I mean, I did improv and comedy, so I'm comfortable, you know, doing that stuff. But a drama writer who hasn't done any theater, who's shy, you know, uh, that's going to be kind of tough. But they know that. They know that, too. Like, personalities are going to be different. Teaching has helped me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Talking and telling my stories and things like that. So, um, yeah, yeah. That's been a benefit. But, yeah, um, that's stuff you don't learn in film school. They don't do this. No, they don't do that. And uh, and it's and it, it's a gap between writing something, yeah, and then getting connected and into the system. And you know. there has to, yeah, there has to be, and and AFI has a, they have some stuff like this, but there really needs to be a true transition to the industry kind of um, module that's not just like a short period of time. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to be like six months, you know. Um, so you do that, they, they grade you on your schmooz, schmoozing. And the trick that I learned is like, you don't want to be messing with food during these things like eating. Like, do you really want to like have an orange come out of your mouth and then go in the mouth of the showrunner of Blackish? Like, no, because this is pre-COVID so you can, you talk close. Right. And so I was like, I'm going to eat before I go to this thing. I'm going to get my coffee before I go to this thing. And I'm just going to drink water the whole time. And then whenever I need to leave, I would ask people, oh, does anyone need any water? And some people did, some people didn't. But it got me out of like conversations I didn't want to stay in long. Because you don't want to stay on that flower too long. You need to pollinate all the flowers that are in your genre. So it's a mind F. <laughs> and that's like, and, and you're so tired after that. So tired. And and then the last thing is you have you go in and you pitch to a, a panel of executives. Um like five you have a five minute pitch to pitch uh like a spec episode of a show. And it can be on Disney's stuff or it can be off. Um I did a Brooklyn nine nine, totally fine. That thing has to be personal. That thing has to tie back to you. So like my A story was about an Indian restaurant trafficking computer programmers, which was based on um, something that really happened at this restaurant in Berkeley that we used to go to all the time. They're trafficking women for work and and sex through there. And I was like, well, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So I made them all like Java programmers and stuff. It's like a little bit more palatable. These programmers like living at this Indian restaurant and sort of getting pimped out to, to write code. And so that was my A story. The story was about um, Terry is the vice president of the PTA and then the president quits. Mm, sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. Don't have to make any of that up. I don't have to make up any of the dynamics. You know, and then the third story is like, an, you know, an identity story. And, uh, and I did research for that. But, you know, that was my spec pitch. I had written the spec at AFI. Perfect. Like, I had just finished it that week. So I knew the whole thing. As if all these things were slowly preparing yeah. next step. For this moment. Yeah. And you don't know that. You're like, no, I'm gonna make and I was I was such a I was such a uh, maniac in this writing class because I was like, I want this to be awesome. And everyone's like, Why do you want this to be so awesome? And I'm like, because I want to get into a fellowship program when I leave this place. Hmm. And they're like, Okay. And I did. <laughs> that's awesome there's something about believing in yourself you know and sometimes you know you get into those periods where you don't yeah. and at that time like i was 
I sort of knew why I was on, on the planet, you know, at that point. I and mean, we'd been through so much, you know. Um, and uh, so anyway, like you pitch your thing and then they ask you, tell us about yourself. Again. Same question that they asked right. during semifinals. Do the same thing. You do the same story. You already had it. They don't want you to change it because that's what got you that far. Interesting. So you do that. I was lucky. I walk in and I go, oh, dang, Karen. And it was this, here's the crazy, craziest connection. I know I'm going like on way too long, but the, um, she was a fan of the On The Page podcast hmm. that I used to like co-host and produce for a long time with Pilar. She was a fan of that. She reached out to me when she came out to LA and I apparently was very nice to her and she ended up being an executive for Viola Davis. Wow. And she had worked, she worked at CAA and then was an exec for Viola Davis. And she's in the room. Guess how confident that made me feel? Like I walk in, I see a friend and I get a hug and the other execs are like, where are our hugs? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, you know, you can get them after. We'll see how this goes, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I'm I'm still friends with like her and one of the other foos on my, my panel, and it's exactly the same thing. It's a bear and and this all this fellowship process. You always want to have two or three anecdotes that that audience hasn't heard yet because you're going to use them up, you know. Um, and so I, I always have like when they say, "Do you have anything else you want to tell us at the end?" Um, you go, "Yeah, you want to hear a crazy story?" And they're like, "Of course, you're a storyteller." <laughs> So I tell a story about how like my bike got stolen. I was really mad and I found it on Craigslist and I stole it back from a crime ring that I stumbled onto. No one has that story. Right. Because yeah. no one is crazy enough to do that over a two hundred dollar bike. But I was it was the principle of it. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna take my bike from me. I'm gonna get it back. Right. Um so anyway, so like See, it's like all these little things that you plant that you don't know you're planting can miraculously come out of nowhere. I love how one of the biggest ones was you just being nice to someone. And it's it always that. For me, it's always that. Came back full circle, like tenfold, to have that person in that room in that moment. That's incredible. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't predict, oh, sorry. Um, you can't predict that, right? There's no way you could predict that. And she was at the mixer too. So I got to check her off. I came by, I said hi to her. Uh, and I'm like, do you want me to schmooze you? And she's like, no, go. Like it was, <laughs> and I had the guy, one of the guys who wrote my um, recommendations for AFI and ABC, Disney, he was in that mixer. So do you think I had to go talk to him? Nope. And I met him from running the uh, running the LATV writers Facebook group. Wow. You know, giving back uh, can give back. You just can't expect it. You know, you know, this doing this podcast has reconnected me with so many people. Yeah, I get that. You know what I mean? And just, and I'm just doing it to help other people who are yeah. trying to get to the next step. Yeah. These wonderful stories and whatnot. And it's been, so rewarding. I remember yeah. uh, uh, when I started it, you know, I didn't even listen to podcasts when I started this. Like, I didn't oh, really? I didn't know that. What? I did the first one and I just loved it. It's so fun. I love podcasting. So great. Just having a conversation about yeah. with someone who's also a great yeah. You know? Yeah, it's super fun. Like with like real people who who are you doing it. That's yeah. that's the best. And what's even better about it is you and I have talked many times, many yes. times. In fact, like we met at the Austin Film Festival. Remember that? You remember? Yep. Yeah, yeah. We were there for um, Slum Dog. Yeah, you and your wife sat next to me and my buddy. <laughs> yeah. In the uh, theater for this movie, and, crazy Slum Dog Millionaire. I hadn't even heard of it. You know what I mean? We were the only Indian. There was only like one other Indian person there. Remember that? That's right. I was like, oh, yeah, she should come sit with us. <laughs> and then we watched this unbelievable movie. 
Yeah. And I yeah. remember uh, Danny Boyle saying that they had lost their U.S. distribution because they didn't have yeah. That was <laughs> what? great. We could not, yeah, you and I could not believe that. We were like, wait a second, what is this business? And then, like, for, we just saw this and it's Danny Boyle and he can't get a distribution deal on it. And for a year, I told everyone about you. I watched Slumdog. Me too. It come out forever. And everyone's like, what is this? Because the name what is, is this not, thing? It, it, yeah. it doesn't really get stuck in your head. It, it just, like, it doesn't have any hard K's in it. Right. I think that's the issue. Might be something too, yeah. But it's too smooth. Slumdog Millionaire. It's just like. Whoosh, whoosh. But I was all I was wondering if you remembered where we met. That was oh like, yeah, yeah. Well, we've come full circle to where Adip and I met 13 years ago at the Austin Film Festival. Um, there is so much wonderful content that Adip has to share that we are going to stop this podcast right here, try to keep it just over an hour, and divide this into two podcasts. In part two. Adeep goes into great detail about how he got his Disney fellowship and how he became a 2020-2021 BAFTA Breakthrough Award recipient. Um, And he's also going to talk about the amazing connections that BAFTA opportunity has given him. So I hope you guys learned a lot. I know I did, and I've known Adeep for 13 years. So I hope that you guys are looking forward to part two of the Script Cake podcast with Adeep Desai as much as I am. Thank you for listening to the Script Cake podcast. If you have any questions on screenwriting, please feel free to reach out to us at info at scriptcake.com. Also, please like our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, check out our website, scriptcake.com. Until next time.